0: good morning thank you for being here um from the heart of a pastor i say to you who are presently serving or who have served i deeply appreciate your commitment and your uh, your courage to go and do what many of us didn't have that opportunity to do or didn't take that opportunity i never was in the military but uh, my father was and I deeply appreciate the military community. So, thank you, God bless you. I'll I'll be saying a whole lot to you this morning. You know, my, my earliest encounter with a war vet was a great uncle of mine, Uncle Hubert Smith. I remember Uncle Hubert being a very quiet and gentle man who ran a full service gas station in Hartford, Alabama he farmed a little bit and he ran that service station that's how he made his living he was my mother's mother's brother figure that out (laughs) i didn't have any aunts or uncles because my mom and dad were both only children but uh... my my great uncles were near and dear to my heart and uncle uncle hubert was one of my favorite i got to go stay with him a few times and really enjoyed those moments there were Five boys and four girls in that family. And to the best of my recollection, because there's nobody to talk to anymore, they're all gone. I think all five of those boys served in the military in some capacity. Growing up, I remember different ones of the family talking about Uncle Hubert's service in World War II. I remembered early on hearing that he was captured by the enemy and was in. A prisoner of war camp for some time I was always under the impression that he'd been captured by the Germans but later on I found out that he had actually been taken prisoner by the Japanese uh, one of my uncle's sons my cousin Jackie whom I always have called uncle Jackie he sent me an article a couple of years ago um, with some information that he had received from a friend that nobody in the family knew. We, we didn't know much about Uncle Hubert's time in the Army and, and serving in the war. And the reason for that was he never talked about it. He didn't say anything to his kids, didn't say anything to his wife. He was pretty silent about his time in the war, as is the case for a lot of people who served in those situations. The, the article that I mentioned tells the story of how the Philippines fell for a short time into the hands of the Japanese. Some of you have heard about the Battle of Bataan. It started January 6, 1942, and, and almost immediately the defenders that were involved in protecting that island were on half rations. They, they only had half the food that they needed really to survive. Uh, sick with malaria and dingy, dingy fever and other diseases and living on monkey meat and a few grains of rice without any air cover or a naval support, the Allied forces of the Filipinos and the Americans, they held out for almost 100 days, almost 100 days. That's when General Edward King, the U.S. commander of all ground forces on Bataan, surrendered his thousands of sick and enervated and starving troops on April 9th, just three months and three days after it all began. The article that I have reads as follows. It says, After months of fierce fighting, the exhausted Allied troops defending, defending Bataan surrendered on April the 9th. The Japanese forced their Bataan prisoners, many who were sick and near starvation, to march to a prisoner camp nearly 60 miles away. Only much later did the public learn what these prisoners had to endure. About 76,000 prisoners, 76,000 prisoners, started out but only about 54,000 of those on the Bataan death march reached the camp. They lost 22,000 men. In 60 miles. One of the survivors later recalled the account this way. He said, anybody who could walk, they forced them into a line. If you fell out to the side, you were either shot by the guards or you were bayoneted. You were stabbed and left to die. Some were even beheaded with swords. Somehow, my Uncle Hubert made it through all of that. By the grace of God. And there's even a picture of him coming off a landing craft right behind General Douglas MacArthur. I don't have any idea what that story was about, that relationship was, but I've seen that picture. I have a copy of it on my phone. And by the way, of the 22,000 Americans, the soldiers, the sailors, the airmen, and the Marines that were captured by the Japanese forces there on the Bataan Peninsula, only 15,000 of them returned to the United States. That's a death rate of more than 30%. 30%. Just to give you a comparison, the Allied POWs held by the Nazis and the other Axis powers during World War II only suffered a death rate of about 3%. Unbelievable. The death of any one of those soldiers was too many. One was too many. In the 1980s, the U.S officially recognized the suffering and the sacrifice of those veterans by awarding them with Bronze Stars and eventually classifying them as 100% disabled so that they could get government pensions. Uncle Hubert came back just a shadow of who he was. I I never remember Uncle Hubert ever being over about 120 pounds. He never regained what he had once lost. He, like so many other veterans, came home from the terrible war and they said little and he he quietly worked the rest of his life, changing oil and cars and pumping gas for people, serving the people there in Hartford, Alabama. But isn't that what veterans do? They continue to serve because that's a part of their heart. I looked up the term veteran in Webster's Dictionary and this is how it reads. Old. Anybody can attest to that? <laughs> yeah. Old and experienced. Long practiced. Long practiced, especially in the art of war and military service. We're blessed as a nation to have a lot of veterans. If you've ever gone to Arlington Cemetery, it breaks your heart. What a testimony to those who have served our country and served so well. We have a lot of veterans in this country, and you know, when we stop and think about it, there are a lot of veterans, there are a lot of different kinds of veterans. A lot of you people today are caught up in football, and there's a lot of football veterans, and a lot of baseball veterans, a lot of veteran athletes of all kinds. There are veteran shipbuilders, yeah, veteran shipbuilders. Veteran health care workers veteran law enforcement officers and and first responders of all kinds in reality a veteran Is anyone who's been doing what they've been doing serving others for a long time? If you're a grandparent you're a veteran (laughs) Praise God for grandparents. Amen There are five typical Characteristics of a military veteran, they are known to live by a strict warrior ethos bound by virtues such as honor and courage and commitment and loyalty and integrity. These fundamentals become a clear part of their DNA. It is who they are. It's what they do. So many who choose to employ veterans know that character is the foundation on which all else is built. They know that veterans understand the importance of these principles in building strong teams. Companies also know that veterans have a proven track record of of trustworthiness and that they live by a strong code of ethics and core values. It has rightly been said of you who are veterans, your strength is inspiring, your dedication unwavering, and your sacrifice, well, it's unending. Thank you for protecting our freedom. And thank you for protecting our country so that we can have the opportunity to live the life that we want to live. Thank you for your service and thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for taking care of our country and its citizens. Thank you. I thank you. We appreciate you. Ronald Reagan said, we remember those we were called upon to give all a person can give and we remember those who were prepared to make that sacrifice if it were demanded of them in the line of duty though it never was most of all we remember the devotion and the gallantry with which all of them ennobled their nation as they became champions of a noble cause Ronald Reagan also said freedom Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. I hope you hear that. You know what? Without veterans, freedom is lost. We need to be making more veterans all the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way we hang on to that freedom. I firmly believe everything that Reagan said, and I'm deeply concerned because today so few or standing up and getting in line to serve. I wonder if we could man an army today that we might need. Elmer Davis said, the nation, this nation, will remain the land of the free only as long as it is the home of the brave. What a powerful statement. George Washington said, the willingness with which our youth our young people are likely to serve in any war no matter how justified shall be directly proportional to how they perceive that veterans of earlier wars were treated and appreciated by their nation stand up and pay attention Douglas MacArthur said the soldier above all others prays for peace for it is the soldier who must suffer and bear the deepest wounds and scars of war, you understand. Hmm. Dr. Billy Graham said, "Courage is contagious. We need some courage. Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spine of others are often stiffened. We certainly need more brave men and women serving. We pray with me." Oh God, I ask you to bless and keep strong all of our veterans, those who have served in so many different ways across our land and around the world. Thank you for the veterans that we have. And oh Lord, please send some more who love you first, but then also love our nation and the citizens of this nation. Oh God, please bless our veterans today with a special portion of your grace and mercy. Give them peace and rest in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The history books are full of stories about great and wonderful veterans who have sacrificed and served others. I did a little bit of word study this week, and and the word veteran, just like the word Trinity and Rapture, is more referred to than actually used in the Bible. You don't find it much. Found it a couple of times. Second Chronicles chapter seventeen verse seventeen, it reads from Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, there were twenty, or excuse me, two hundred thousand troops equipped with bows and shields. If they had. Two hundred thousand bows. How many arrows would they have? <laughs> That's a lot, man. <laughs> for us who are bow hunters, we, we we appreciate that kind of thing. But anyway, he says they were under the command of Eliada, uh, Eliada, a veteran soldier. There's a translation that that refers to him as a valiant warrior. We don't know a whole lot about him other than he was a commanding officer who was experienced in making war and leading troops in the battle. Thank God for those men. Ezekiel chapter twenty-seven verse nine, it reads: "Veteran craftsmen of Gabal were aboard as shipwrights to caulk the seams." <laughs> you got you got to think back about that. I mean, they built those holes out of wood, and and they they leaked a little bit. And so I could just see you got to have somebody who knows how to plug the leaks, right? Or else you go down with the ship. There was a couple of summers that my dad got me a job with a veteran craftsman by the name of Clem Carter. Mr. Carter was a Navy, native of the Grand Cayman Island. And he grew up going to work with his father when he was just a small boy. His father was a shipwright. And Clem went to the, went to the shipyard with his dad starting at about age five. And he started learning the trade of building ships and boats with, with wood with your bare hands. That's, that's how they did that back then. Mr. Carter later turned that knowledge, of that trade of woodworking, uh, into a woodworking shop where he built some of the most beautiful cabinets I've ever seen in my life. Uh, there, there was nothing that that man couldn't build with his hands with wood. He he built a 38 cabin, 38 uh, foot cabin cruiser that he actually lived on, all made out of teak and mahogany. Some of the most beautiful woodwork you've ever seen. He built my. My mom and dad had a set of kitchen cabinets after mom burned the kitchen up. <laughs> she was busy dogging on the phone, imagine that, and, and the kitchen caught fire, and so daddy had to put some new cabinets in there. And, and Clem came in, and he measured everything, and it was an old Jim Walters house. That If you know anything about those old houses, they didn't have a square corner in them nowhere. And when Clem built those cabinets, and I promise you, when he brought them in, and hung them on the wall, you couldn't put a dollar bill between the cabinet and the wall. They were perfectly fit. Well, he was a craftsman, a veteran craftsman. The Apostle Paul, uh, later writing to the Church of Rome, mentions the name, uh, several names of his friends that he had served, and uh, people who had served him, and he makes mention of one in particular whom he referred to as a dōikimos, A dōikimos. As a person who had been approved. Romans 10, 16. He says, say hello to Apelles, a, a tried and true veteran in following Christ. Now the whole idea behind Paul's choice of wording here was to honor Apelles as one who had been tried and tested as a Christian servant. He was a veteran Christian. We need more veterans in the military, but praise God, we need more veteran Christians. Are you hearing me? We need that. Often the Greek word used here was used for for precious metals such as gold and silver that had passed the test of purity. We don't know exactly what his field of service was or, or even what his spiritual gifts were, but however and whatever he did to serve the Lord by serving others, he served well and was a faithful veteran believer. We do know his name, and that's important. We know his name because Paul remembered and honored him. Paul recognized his service. Now, the apostle Paul was also a veteran of walking with the Lord, who appreciated others who were themselves veteran believers. What's that old saying, it takes one to know one? If you are one, you can appreciate others. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful. Paul took just a moment to reflect on his life as a veteran believer. And now he wasn't, he wasn't enlisted in the Jewish army, not even in the Roman army, but he was in God's army. He was enlisted in God's army. And he wrote, when he wrote to Timothy, he said to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he said, Timothy, endure. Suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And as Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become tied up with the affairs of life, with the things that are going on in the world. For then you cannot satisfy the one. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about God. If you, if you get tied up in all the affairs of the world, you cannot satisfy God who has enlisted you in his army. Paul was in the Lord's army. He learned how to fight a good fight. Paul had lived a life in which he breathed every breath and lived every moment in service for the Lord. His was a life that, uh, you know, in which no sacrifice was too great and no commitment was too demanding. Maybe, just maybe, Theodore Roosevelt was thinking about this verse when he wrote these words. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out the strong man stumbled or or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, who does actually try to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm the great devotion and spends himself in a worthy cause who at worst if he fails at least fails while daring greatly far better is it to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs even though checked by failure than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because They live in a gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. Wow. Paul was a man that lived his life with no regrets. Oh, that we could say that. There was in Paul no sense of unfulfillment or incompleteness. He had given his life fully to the Lord, and he had truly lived his life to the fullest. Everything that God had gifted and enabled Paul to be able to do, he had done. He had done well. John MacArthur writes, There can be no greater satisfaction and certainly no more glorious way to end the Christian life than to know, as he did, that you have fully accomplished all that the Lord has called you to do. You know, that's exactly what Paul was encouraging Timothy to do when he wrote these words in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 Paul wrote to Timothy specifically and he said but you should keep a clear mind in every situation and don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord work at bringing others to Christ and complete the ministry that God has given you complete the ministry that God has given you Do you realize that you have a ministry Christian, this is no less written about you. It's true of you. Every one of us has a ministry that we're responsible for, and we need to see to it that it is completed. You say, Brother Randy, how do you know that? Well, look at what Peter wrote. Paul, Peter's writing here to the church. He said, God has given gifts to each of you. He's talking to you. He's given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts, so manage them well. In other words, put them to use. Make good of them. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. said, are you called to be a speaker? Are you? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Are you called to help others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then... God will be given the glory in everything through Jesus Christ. All glory and power belong to him forever and ever. Amen. So how do we do that? How can we be like Paul and fight the good fight of a soldier, a good soldier for the Lord? How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us the answer in the three short phrases of verse 7 in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. He said, I've fought a good fight, i finished the race, and I I have remained faithful. So there are three things that you need to do, and these kind of piggyback off what I said to you in the last couple of weeks. First of all, you have to accept the reality that you are in a spiritual war. You can't put your head in the sand and just pretend it's not real. It's there. We're all at war every day with our sin nature and with the devil who hates your guts. Hear me, you can't, af- you can't avoid the conflict. You can't ignore it. It's not going away. It's going to be with you for the rest of your life. Every day when you get up and put your feet to the ground, you've got a devil to fight and a sin nature to, to get away from, to, to, to put behind you. So accept the battle. it of all, you have to believe that the divine cause you pursue is noble and worthy of your sacrifice. Friends, there's no greater cause to fight for than the glory of God in the souls of men. Fight to give God glory. Fight to win souls to Christ. Paul said to Timothy, work at bringing others to Christ. Jesus said the greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for the friends. He also mentions a third thing. You must stay the course. Stay the course, be self-disciplined, and finish strong. Being a a person who loved baseball and growing up seemed like with a baseball in my hand from (laughs) my earliest remembrance. um, Ted Williams was always somebody that, that I enjoyed reading about. I'm told that Ted Williams was, you know, he's one of the greatest baseball players ever to live, one of the greatest hitters that ever played professional baseball. I'm told that he was so able to concentrate when he was up to the plate, ready to hit a a, a ball that was being thrown at him that you could throw firecrackers at his feet and they could go off and he would not be distracted from hitting the ball. You throw a firecracker under me, I'm running. (laughs) But not Ted. He, He literally was that focused on what he was good at doing. Solomon wrote, look straight ahead look straight ahead. Don't be distracted by all the mess that's going on. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Then stick to the path and stay safe. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. There's a lot of evil out there. I wouldn't go back and be a teenager again for nothing in the world. I barely made it through the first time. (laughs) And I got the scars to prove it. (laughs) Yeah. Pray for our kids. Be, Be a spiritual veteran that they can look up to. Lead them. They're very worthy of your call. That's how Paul tried to live his life every day, staying focused on the Lord. We we all know that Paul wasn't perfect. He told us he wasn't. Yet he tells us that he clearly struggled with temptation every day. He struggled with his old sin nature. He fought against the devil. But you know what? Praise God, at least he was in the fight. He was in the fight. He recognized the war and he he allowed himself to be in the middle of it. Paul was a spiritual warrior and he fought a good fight. As it often said, Paul earned his stripes. He was a spiritual veteran. I remind you of what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. These words get my heart. I look back over my Christian life and I want to tell you, I've had it easy. And so have you. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said, I've been put in jail. Not because he broke the law. But because of who he stood for. Because of what he preached. I've been put in jail more times than he could count. I've been whipped times without number. I, I've been whipped so many times I don't even remember how many times. Should I face death again and again? Not because he did stupid things, but because he was living for the Lord. People wanted to kill him. He said, five different times the Jews gave me 39 lashes. Do you understand what that means? They scourged him. They took him to within an inch of his life. They left him cut and bleeding and bruised. Three times I was beaten with rods. You ever been beat with a rod? Back when teachers could discipline. I've not had a rod, but I have had a ruler. <laughs> and I've had one of those ping pong paddles. I think I had a coach that had a boat paddle, too, with holes drilled in it. He'd lift your feet up off the floor. Floor every time he hits you but I respected him and he never gave me anything I didn't deserve he said once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea I just gives me chills Sharks, I've traveled many weary miles. I've faced danger from flooded rivers and from robbers. I I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in cities and in deserts and, and on stormy seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be Christians but are not. Paul said, I I had to deal with it out out in the world, but I also had to deal with it in the church. I've lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights, and and often I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. Often I've shivered with cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. I can just picture Paul in a cold, damp jail, sitting on the floor. No bed, no carpet, no blanket. He said, then, beside all of this, I have the daily burden of how the churches are getting along. Paul would think about this group and this group and that group, and he would hear this and hear that. And and Paul, not being God, not being omnipresent, he couldn't be in all places at all times, he was burdened. For the people of God. Paul was certainly an experienced veteran when it came to spiritual warfare. and I'm sure that we only know a fraction of what Paul had to endure and encounter for the cause of Christ. And Like many veterans, if we could talk to Paul today, I'm sure that he would rather spend his time in words encouraging us rather than talk about old war stories. Most veterans speak little of the past. But when you can get them to speak, you better listen. They're speaking from experience. I want you to look with me at how Paul finished up his letter to the Philippian church. He's writing as a spiritual veteran. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, I love you and I long to see you. For you are my joy and the reward of my work. So please stay true to the Lord, my dear friends. Paul once again expressed his deep affection for the Philippian church, for the believers there. He loved them. Not word service. He loved them with his heart. And he longed to see them with his eyes. Paul knew that they were like family to him. And he no doubt had led many of them to Christ. They were the fruit of his ministry to the Lord. The New American Standard Version Bible translate what Paul said here as stand firm in the Lord. The Greek word that he used here is a word that often describes a soldier at his post or at his watch in the night. It very much resembles a military command. You you are to stand your ground. Stand your ground. In chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 27, he writes, But whatever happens to me, you must live in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ as citizens of heaven. And then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing. Look at this, standing side by side, fighting together for the good news. Can you see that picture? Believers standing side by side, fighting for the good news, the glory of, 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 of our God. Paul is saying that we're to partner together in ministry as a church. We're to pool our spiritual giftedness together so that we can accomplish much for Christ. We are to be unified, living in harmony and peace. We're to have the mind of Christ and the purpose of God in our heart. When Paul wrote these words, he had great expectation for this group of believers. He knew that they had great potential for the kingdom of God. He, he knew that there was so much that God had brought them together to accomplish. But he also knew that they, just like other churches, would have an enemy named Satan whose goal would be to divide and neutralize so that their spiritual effectiveness would be normal. So Paul gives us some very, very important words, some instructions about some housekeeping that would needed to be done so that we could be victorious in the battles that we're going to have to fight. And remember, again, we're, look, we're going to be listening to some words of a spiritual veteran here. And we need to listen when veterans speak. So what does Paul write? In verse 2, he says, settle your differences. nails it. Settle your differences. He said in verse 2, And now I want to plead with those two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Put it aside. It's not that important. And I ask you, my true teammate, to help these women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. And they worked with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Somehow, Satan had managed to divide these ladies so that they lost sight of the big picture. But what made matters worse is that their problem was spreading throughout the church like a cancer. And it needed to be stopped. It needed to be settled. And Paul's solution was simple. He said, you need to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. They needed to get on the same spiritual page for the sake of the gospel. He said, settle your differences. That's true of all of us. We need to put those petty things aside and focus on being what God wants us to be. Say it of all, he says, learn to rejoice in verse 4. Learn to rejoice together. Side by side, rejoicing. He said, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice, let everyone see. That you are considered in all that you do and remember the Lord is coming soon. I'm telling you, it can happen any moment. You know and I know that we cannot control what goes on in our world, right? <laughs> There's just so many things out there that are not within my control. I can't make them change or work. I certainly can't control the growing problem of traffic in the Isle of Wight County. <laughs> can I hear an amen? It's getting ridiculous, but there's nothing I can do about it. I can't control what is going on in D.C. With politics and politicians. I can't control it, and neither can you. I can't control my health. I can't stop all the aches and pains. It doesn't matter how much Gay I get. It only does so much. But you know what? I can choose to have a good attitude. I can choose to smile. I can choose to be joyful. And you can too. You can choose to rejoice. And that's what Paul's talking about. In fact, he says you must choose to rejoice in order to experience the joy that God has promised you. you got to choose to do that joy is a choice it's a choice so if you want to walk around with a frown on your face that's a choice but don't blame nobody but yourself okay notice what else he says. beginning in verse six and seven he says stop worrying and start praying stop worrying and start praying he says it simply don't worry about anything instead pray about everything tell God what you need and Thank him for all that he's done. If you do this you will experience God's peace Which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus <laughs> Paul Paul kept things simple. I love that Paul was a simple man. He and I are kind of you know simple minds think alike <laughs> Listen, the divine antidote for worry is simple. It's prayer. It's prayer. Here's a spiritual principle for you. The more you worry, the less you pray. But the more you pray, the less you worry. So if you want to call me and tell me what your problem is, that's fine. But I would say, come, let's join hands and, and get on our knees and let's pray about it. Prayer Makes a lot of things go away. So do you want to be known as a warrior or as a prayer? A warrior or as a prayer warrior? Leave a legacy. Be a prayer. Be a prayer. He he goes on to give us a fourth thing. In verse eight he said, Think godly thoughts. Think godly thoughts. You can control what you think about. You really can. Paul understood that God is the one that gives us peace, but it's our responsibility to hold on to that peace. No believer, no church wants to lose their peace in the next hour, the next day, or anywhere out there in the future. So we have to learn to think on good things. Dwell on certain things, Paul says. Look at what he writes. And now, dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Several of you said to me this morning that uh, you've listened to Tony Evans lately. Well, I want you to hear what he says today. Okay? He said one of the reasons that we don't keep our peace is because we tend to dwell on things that are said in opposition to the peace that we're asking God for. We mull over a lie or over bad things that could happen. You know that 95% of what you worry about never happens. He said you mull over bad things that could happen. And if we continue to entertain messages that work against our peace, anxiety will soon return. We must, we must therefore ask ourselves if we are able to praise God for the things That we're dwelling on. So whatever you're worried about, can you praise God for that? Can you? If you can't, notice what he says. If you can't, then you will soon lose the peace that God has given us. Stop worrying about it. Pray about it. Leave it in the hands of God. Notice what else he says. He said, put to practice what you've learned. Put to practice what you've learned. You know, that's what a veteran does. It is, and Paul was certainly a veteran when it came to living a Christian life. The beautiful thing is that Paul didn't just tell you how to do it. He showed you how to live. That's why he was able to say these words. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned from me and heard from me and saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. What Paul was saying to them was really simple again. He wanted them to handle things the way that they had saw him handle things. Put it into practice. Think about it. When he was in prison, him and Silas, what were they doing at midnight? Were they worrying? Were they weeping? No. They were praising God. They were praising God. They were being a witness to those that were in jail with them. They were trusting God instead of thinking about worldly things. You know, one of the grand purposes of the church is to connect people with other kingdom-minded people. To connect people with other kingdom-minded people. Friends, listen to me. We need godly people in our lives. We need godly friends. We need godly friends. We all need veteran believers in our life. We need people who will be there to pray with us and, and support us when we go through the tough times. We all need good and godly examples. So I, I, And I said this to you last week. Find you a Christian friend. Invest in them and let them invest in you. Two standing together are better than one, right? Three are better. So if you can get a couple of friends, it'll work in your advantage, I, I promise you. But be careful who you pick. Remember what Paul said? He said, some, some have been my enemies. Pray for that, friend. Let God give you who you need. Now, I want you to notice that Paul closes out here with a promise. It's a conditional promise. And I don't want you to miss this. Because it'll help you if you'll listen. It'll help you if you'll do what Paul tells you to do. Paul says, here's a promise for you. And he said, if you'll do these things, if you'll settle your differences, if you'll learn to rejoice together, if you'll stop worrying and start praying, if you'll think godly thoughts, and if you'll practice what you've learned, then, listen to this, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Think about it. When we're rejoicing and praying and dwelling on the right things and watching the right people, We don't just have the peace of God, friends. We have the God of peace. Let me say it another way. You get His peace when you get His presence. You get God's peace when you have His presence. I can't say it any easier or simpler than that. I know that some of you struggle this week. Struggling is a part of life. I can't make the struggle go away, but I can point you to who can help you. And I just wonder this week, as you've struggled, how much time have you spent with God? Think about that. Don't don't pass over that. When you've been at your lowest point, when you've struggled the most, who have you called? Have you called a friend to complain? Have you put it on Facebook? Or have you opened your Bible and let God speak to you? And have you taken time to speak to God? You see, when you have His presence, you have His peace. So so here's my question to all of us. How close Are you right now to Jesus? How much time have you spent with him? Be honest. Because this only affects you. You you, you can continue to live a life or with your head in the sand. But until you have Jesus in your heart, you have no way to do Battle within, and he will eat your lunch every day until you take Jesus into your heart and you love him more than you love anybody else. So, where are you with Jesus? Are you like this? Are you like this? I asked a kid that one day. I said, "Tell me." Are you in relationship with the Lord? Do, do, do you know him? Are you like this? Are you like that? And that kid said, I'm not that bad. I said, okay. That's fair. I get that. You take your hands in and show me where you are with the Lord. And he went, I'm about right here. And you know what I said? What's the difference in that and that If you're not this. Do you see my point? Are you like this with God? Are you like this with God? Because this is no different than this. If you're not close to Him, you're in it by yourself. I want you to be where you need to be. Because you're going to fight. Tomorrow and the next day and the next day. For as long as you're here, you're going to be fighting the devil. And you're going to be fighting your old sin nature. And without Jesus and you being like this, you're fighting alone. And you're going to be defeated. And you're going to call me. You're going to call me and say, pray for me. Or somebody's going to call me and say, come do my funeral. Or do my buddy's funeral or my family's funeral. It's hard to do funerals when people aren't like this. Make my job easy.